finally this one day, it was about four o'clock in the afternoon, I came upon these images and the shift was right, the images looked real and I knew it wasn't a comet, it was something else. It had to be a planet beyond the orbit of Neptune and it was a tremendous thrill because I thought at the time, that's it, I had the full benefit of the intense thrill of having seen another planet for the first time. In today's special summer edition of Ratbags and Roustabouts, we're doing something a little bit different, travelling not just through time but also through space as we hurtle to the far reaches of the solar system to land on the little planet who couldn't, everybody's favourite underdog, Pluto. I'm your host, Marion Langford. Yes, folks, this is my summer edition of the podcast, which I think we'll call Here's One I Prepared Earlier. I've recorded a couple of bite-sized Rat Bags episodes to put out just while I'm taking a little break over the Christmas New Year period. You can imagine me, if you like, sitting by the pool with a cocktail in one hand and a book in the other. As I say, you can imagine me doing that. In reality, I'm probably right now in the middle of wrangling kids and eating too many rumbles. Anyway, there's no Christmas or New Year's theme here. There aren't even any human rat bags in this episode. Well, maybe there are one or two. But our focus in this episode will be something a little bit different from the norm. Today I want to tell you about the only planet to be pushed out of the solar system, Pluto. Of course, most of you will know that it was back in 2006 that Pluto was officially demoted to dwarf planet. This came after 76 years of it enjoying full planet status after it was first discovered in 1930. In fact, I think you can tell a person's age pretty well by asking them how many planets are in the solar system. If they are under about 20, they'll say eight and probably start singing some jaunty jingle about the planetary crew. If, however, they learnt their planet sometime in the previous century, it's likely they'll start crying and say eight and roll their eyes and grumble about how unfair it was that Pluto was kicked off the team. All those styrofoam models tossed in the bin, all those glow-in-the-dark stickers ripped off the ceiling. Actually, did they have those in the 90s? I'm not sure. Maybe. Anyway, how did such a travesty of justice happen? Who is responsible and does the oh-so-cool Pluto, the John Bender of the Planet Club, even care? Let's find out. First, we need to head to Arizona, USA in 1929 to the Lowell Observatory where a young 23-year-old astronomer called Clyde Tombaugh was searching the night sky for the elusive and as yet undiscovered Planet X. What a cool name. It was a search which had started in 1906 by the man whose name was on the observatory, Percival Lowell. Lowell was a businessman, a mathematician and an astronomer who had used his wealth to build the observatory 
and who had spent the final decade of his life searching for Planet X, which was hypothesised to lie somewhere beyond Uranus and Neptune. An incredible sidebar to this story is that Lowell's team actually photographed this Planet X in 1915, one year before Lowell died, but they didn't recognise this as the object they'd been searching for. In 1929, though, Tombaugh was brought in to continue the search and in early 1930, he saw it. He got that knot of excitement in his chest, but he didn't shout Eureka to the world straight away. He spent a bit of time checking and double-checking and observing to be absolutely sure that he really had found Planet X. Later, this is how he described that moment. Finally, this one day, it was about four o'clock in the afternoon, I came upon these images and the shift was right, the images looked real and I knew it wasn't a comet and it wasn't something else, it had to be a planet beyond the orbit of Neptune. And it was a tremendous thrill because I thought at the time, that's it, I had the full benefit of the intense thrill of having seen another planet for the first time. On March 13th, 1930, which actually would have been Lowell's 75th birthday, Tombaugh announced his discovery to the world. And the people around the world, well, they were absolutely over the moon. The only question left was, what would this cold and distant planet on the edge of the solar system be called? As the discoverer of the new planet, the privilege of naming it belonged to the Lowell Observatory. They said the announcement of the name of the planet would come on May the 1st. But instead of just calling it whatever they wanted, they opened it up to suggestions from around the globe. Except, did they actually? According to an article in Astronomy magazine, a comment made in an interview was taken the wrong way by the Planet X-obsessed media. And soon the story was doing the rounds that the observatory was welcoming suggestions telegrams began to flood in. Some places were even holding their own competitions for the name. Of course, buried in the fine print, it would say that the winner didn't actually automatically get their name used for the planet, just that they would forward the name on to the observatory. Luckily, because this was back in 1930, there were no silly suggestions of things like Boaty McBoatface or perhaps Planety McPlanetface. Instead, people came up with more sensible ideas. Here are just a few. There was Kronos, Minerva, Persephone, Pax, Peace, Mazda, Aeronautus, Virgilius, Athena, Juno, Psyche, Bacchus. There was even one suggestion to call the planet Babe Ruth because it was a starry outfielder. This, of course, is in reference to the famous American baseball player, who was at that time nearing the end of his career. Minerva actually looked likely as the winner for a while, that is, until they realised the name was already taken. It is the name of a large asteroid that was discovered in 1867. But then, over breakfast one day in Oxford, England, probably as she munched on some marmalade on toast or something, An 11-year-old girl called Venetia Burney was talking with her grandfather as he read the newspaper. He read her the article about the discovery of the new planet. 
Venetia munched and thought and thought and munched and then observed that as a cold, distant planet that had remained invisible to humans for so long, the name Pluto, the Roman god of the underworld, seemed appropriate. Her grandfather, well, he thought it was just a wonderful idea, so he sent it off to the observatory on his granddaughter's behalf. In Arizona, they loved it too. It had the added benefit that its first two letters were the initials of Percival Lowell, the man who had started this whole search, who'd built the observatory, and to whom the astronomers all felt such a huge debt. Venetia got five pounds from her grandfather as a congratulations for naming the planet, and the world got Pluto, the ninth planet in the solar system. Incidentally, the largest moon of Pluto was subsequently named Charon, or Sharon, whichever way you want to pronounce it, which is the name of the boatman who ferries souls across the river Styx to the underworld. And also, incidentally, it was the following year in 1931 that Mickey Mouse's pet dog, which had first appeared in 1930 as a nameless pup, was given the moniker Pluto. So if you quietly thought maybe the planet was named after the cartoon dog, in reality it was the other way around. Anyway, the world was completely enraptured. Schools busily started changing their curriculum to teach the new generations that there were in fact nine planets and not eight in the solar system. Astronomers busily started studying this new planetary outlier. And Pluto? Well... It continued its laborious orbit around the sun, presumably unaware of the stir it was causing on the third planet from that same sun. It all went swimmingly for a few decades. Pluto may have been the furthest and smallest, but it was definitely the favourite of the planets. But then, in the 1970s, something happened which would scupper everything. A young boy fell in love with this tiny, distant planet. Now, this is not the first example of a love affair ending badly for one of the parties, but it might just be the first example of that love affair including a celestial body. Mike Brown, a kid from Huntsville, Alabama, learned about the nine planets at school along with all the other American school kids, possibly memorising the mnemonic, my very educated mother just served us nine pizzas. For Brown, learning about space was the beginning of a lifelong love affair. He particularly loved Pluto, the last of the nine planets. Just a couple of years ago, in 2021, in an interview with the BBC, he recalled the start of his love of Pluto. He said, It seemed like the coolest place to think about, literally, in the solar system. And he thought to himself, Gee, wouldn't it be even cooler if there was a tenth planet? And wouldn't it be the coolest thing ever if I was the one who discovered it? So he became an astronomer. In the 1990s and early 2000s, the grown-up Dr. Mike Brown did just what he had always imagined doing. He searched the night skies just as Clyde Tombaugh had done 70 or so years earlier for another planet. Surely Pluto wasn't the end of the story. Surely there could be another planet X even further out that we didn't yet know about. Digital cameras had become so sophisticated by then and eventually on January 5th, 2005, he found it. Brown nicknamed this elusive new planet X Xena 
after the popular TV show Xena Warrior Princess. In the end, though, the name Xena was changed to Eris. Eris was the Greek god of discord and strife, and boy, did this new planet live up to its name, because it soon looked like this tenth planet was bigger than the ninth, and that's where the problems for our poor mate Pluto really began. In that same 2021 BBC interview, Brown explained the main issue. If it hadn't been for Eris, Pluto could possibly have been swept under the rug forever. There was no reason to change the solar system. It was fine, even if it didn't make scientific sense. The problem is, after we discovered Eris and realised Eris is more massive than Pluto, you gotta do something. The International Astronomical Union put it up to a vote. Should Pluto stay? Should Eris be added? But if it was, would that mean that a whole bunch of other celestial bodies that were around the same size would have to be included? Would it all just be too hard for school kids to memorise? Would that mnemonic get ridiculously unwieldy for them? Or should Pluto be downgraded to a dwarf planet and Eris be named a dwarf planet and then we just have eight planets to remember? Just where exactly do you draw the planetary line? In August 2006, they held the vote, and it was a very close thing. For Brown, it was tricky, because on the one hand, he believed that scientifically, Pluto should be downgraded, but on the other hand, he loved Pluto. Plus, if it was kept a planet and Eris was added, he would join that very small collective of people to be able to call themselves planet discoverers. But Brown said, what I felt about that was fraudulent. He went on, The correct solution is to draw the line that should have been drawn to begin with and say that there are these eight planets and all these small icy things out beyond Neptune are in a different class of objects. They were all part of the Kuiper belt. And so the vote was in. Pluto was out. It was officially off the team and relegated to dwarf planet status. People were not happy. I assume Mickey Mouse was also not happy. I certainly wasn't happy. But Brown, who later titled his memoir, How I Killed Pluto and Why It Had It Coming, explained that it wasn't the school kids who were mad, it was their parents. The school kids were delighted, he said. I mean, what's more fun than coming home from school and telling your parents what they learnt in school was wrong. Kids love that. He also explained, it's not even that Pluto was demoted, it's that Pluto was finally classified correctly. Pluto, that distant ball of ice, 7.5 billion kilometres from Earth, takes 248 Earth years to orbit the Sun. So its 76 years as an official planet in Pluto time was not even a third of a year, a mere blip for Pluto. But for millions of us Earthlings who remember hanging nine planets onto our models of the solar system, who may have mixed up the order of Neptune and Uranus, but who never forgot that Pluto was at the end, we may never get over our loss. Which we can see in this newly suggested mnemonic to remember the now eight planets. Mean, very evil men just shortened up nature. Enough said. Rest in peace, old friend. Meanwhile, what did Venetia think? The girl who had named Pluto was still alive when it was reassigned in 2006. Then, aged 87, in true understated English style, she nonchalantly said, 
At my age, I've been largely indifferent to the debate, though I suppose I would prefer it to remain a planet. A very cool response, as cool as the planet itself. And that, folks, is the story of Pluto, the planet that, in the end, wasn't deemed worthy enough to stay on the team. And yes, I know it all makes sense and I'm not one to hold grudges. Actually, that is very far from the truth. But it's still such a shame because I really do love Pluto. Anyway, look, I know this episode was a little different to normal, but I hope you enjoyed it. There will be one more in the Here's One I Prepared Earlier series before regular programming starts up again properly at the end of the month. Meanwhile, don't forget you can check out the website, ratbagsandroustabouts.com, where you can listen to all the past episodes and read the show notes. Or you can also follow the podcast over on Instagram at ratbagsandroustabouts. Also, make sure you follow the show so that you can hear more stories about those common as muck ratbags and roustabouts from our past who still have extraordinary tales to tell. <laughs>